Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So if we're looking at Jesus, following after Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, we're going to be walking in the light. On the other hand, if we choose our own way, if we choose to just do things our way, we're walking in darkness. Sin blinds, and it's an absolute. So this has to do with our vision and our perceptions of stuff. Today we are completing Pastor Sam's message entitled A Heart for God. We begin in Matthew 6, starting in verse 22, where Jesus is instructing us on how the condition of our hearts will not only show us where our priorities truly lie, but will also determine whether we walk in darkness or in light. The next issue he deals with, having talked about wealth, and all of these are so closely interrelated. He talks about our walk and he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now here are the two choices that Jesus gives us. We can either walk in the light as he is in the light and First John tells us, if we do that, we'll have fellowship with one another. That means fellowship between us and the Lord. That will lead to fellowship with one another like this too. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we can walk in the light or we can walk in the darkness. Now to walk in the light means to walk in truth, means to walk uprightly, it means to walk in love. It's, it's sort of the whole package of what it means to follow after Jesus. I am the light of the world, our Lord would say. And he who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if we're looking at Jesus, following after Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, we're going to be walking in the light. On the other hand, if we choose our own way, if we choose to just do things our way, we're walking in darkness. Sin blinds, and it's an absolute. So this has to do with our vision and our perceptions of stuff. And here's a couple questions for each of us. Are you giving or are you grasping? Are you generous or are you greedy? Because someone walking in the light will be generous in giving. Someone walking in darkness will be grasping and greedy. That's just the way it's going to be. And so it's sort of an easy test for me. Now, i got to be honest with you. I have walked in the darkness. And of course, you have too. And even as a believer, sometimes I've chosen not to believe. Oh, I always believed in Jesus. I always trusted him as Savior since the day I've been saved. But when it came to everyday needs, many times I thought, no, I've got to do this part. There's no way God's just going to take care of this. We'll see in our next study that we can trust him for everything. That if we've really submitted our lives to him, if we're really living for him and following after him and becoming more like him, man, we can trust him in every single way. But the question, are, are you generous or greedy? Is your eye good or evil? Are, are you really seeing things as they are? The lamp of the body, the eye, it, it lets light in. And also, 
Well, it lets in the darkness, sadly. And he's saying, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? A couple of illustrations will really help this whole thing come to light, as it were. Those of you who studied through Genesis with us will remember the temptation of Eve. And you know, when the tempter came to her and she saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took and she ate and she gave to Adam and he ate with her. What was going on there? Her eye was evil. She coveted something. She was greedy for something. She grasped at something that God said, hey, you can have anything you want. You can do anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. Just there's one place. I don't want you to go one thing. I don't want you to do one thing. I don't want you to taste. And you know, human nature, they're like, well, where exactly would that be? And what don't you want us to see? And what don't you want us to taste? And she finds herself there standing at the tree, tempted by the devil. And when she saw the tree was good for food, see, the very thing that God gave her to enjoy all of his creation, this wonderful sense of sight, the enemy used it to, to draw her in to sin. Now, Jesus, conversely, and look back at Matthew 4, since we're right here in Matthew 6, look at verse 11, because not the more times or actually go back to verse eight with me, the more familiar you are with these kinds of scenarios, with these situations, the better you'll do it following Jesus example and not Eve's. The devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, Matthew four, eight, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. Now, what's going on? He is taking Jesus to a place, and this has to be some kind of a miraculous deal, you know, for him to see all the kingdoms and all their glory. Satan is saying, look it, I know what you're here for, and I want to show you, here it is, all of it, look at it, and it's splendor and it's glory. And, and, and in essence, Satan's saying, or the devil's saying, I can get it for you wholesale. I'll give it to you and you won't have to go to the cross. All you need to do is worship me. Now, what's the difference in Jesus being tempted and Eve being tempted? Apart from the obvious that Jesus is, you know, the only begotten son of God. Well, listen, Adam and Eve were created in God's image. They're not exactly in the par with Jesus since he existed prior to creation, was always God the Son, was always in fellowship with the Father. But but here, Jesus not only knows and uses the word, but there's something else. Let's get the obvious, though. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. He knew the word, he quoted the word, he applied the word. But there's something else. Jesus saw beyond the glory and splendor of earthly kingdoms. No, Jesus looked at the, the masses and he saw these multitudes as sheep, weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field, to his harvest. And, and so what happens? Eve looks and all she sees is what's before her. Jesus looks and he sees eternity. He sees people 
that are created by him and for him and that he came to save, to rescue, to redeem on their way to a Christless eternity, on their way to hell. Does he love them? Absolutely. Does he choose them? He says it's not his will any perish, but all come to repentance. And so Eve sees the temporal, seizes the temporal. Why? She was, she was deceived. She was greedy. She looked at the things that were now and failed to see what would be after. Jesus looked at what was now and saw the entire picture. That's what God's trying to do in your heart and in mine. That's the vision he's trying to give us, a vision of eternity. So we see everything, things, people, opportunities, temptations. We see them in the light of eternity through the eyes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Yet one more illustration in this area, and we look at the final little section here. Back in the book of Joshua, after Israel had experienced its first major victory in coming into the land, and it was miraculous, it was wonderful. They had marched around the city as they were instructed, no doubt experienced some taunting and mocking as they'd walk around day after day, doing nothing, really, just walking around the city. And then finally, on that day that God had foreordained and pre-planned, they, as he tells them, go around, they blow the trumpets, this whole thing happens, the walls fall down. And truly, God went before them. God fought for them. Why? He said he would. And they had this amazing victory at Jericho. Then they head up to this place, Ai. It's a small town in comparison. It doesn't have the walls that Jericho had. They thought, we can take this. And so they send a group of men up there. And in the midst of it, a bunch of them are bruised and battered. Some of them killed. They all come running back. And and God says, listen, there's sin in the camp. As Joshua is tearing his clothes and saying, look, what's happened? God says, there's sin in the camp. And so they go through the tribes and they find it's one from the tribe of Judah. And then they go down to the families and ultimately they bring it down to this guy, Achan. And when they bring Achan before Joshua, he says, come clean, tell me what you've done. And he gives us the process, the same process that that slew Eve and will slay you unless you really pay close attention and learn from the scriptures. Achan says, I saw and I coveted And I took. That's exactly what happened to Eve. She saw it, she wanted it, and she took it. And that not only messed Eve up, but every person ever born since we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. It not only messed Achan up, but it cost the lives of those who didn't even know his covetous heart, his greedy heart, his sin. What did he steal? He saw a beautiful Babylonian garment, clothing. Again, over and over as you go through this portion of scripture we're studying, you'll see food, drink, clothes, food, drink, clothing. And so back there, Eve, she sees the food, she eats, she sins. Achan sees the clothing and it's beautiful. And, And instead of destroying it as God had instructed, he steals it, takes it, hides it. He also nabbed some silver and gold, the stuff that God tells us not to be treasuring up or storing up. Why? It can corrode and rust. It's not going to last forever. And if you're thinking, well, that really isn't going to happen. Well, 
it can devalue. Inflation can get it or deflation can get it. But whatever happens, that stuff loses value as it did then. But in Aiken's case, it not only cost him ultimately his life, it cost them a victory. It set them back. It messed with their representation of the Lord and success in the Lord. So again, are you greedy or generous? Are you grasping or giving? Because if like Eve, you're greedy and grasping, you're going to find it's because your eye is evil. It's because your eye is seeing not the light, but the darkness, not eternity, but the temporal. Well, there's yet one more illustration or one more admonition to us. And then we get down back in chapter 6 to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So he's dealt with our wealth or our treasure. He's dealt with our walk in the light or in the darkness. And now he says we have two choices when it comes to our work, our service. We can either serve God or we can serve mammon. Now mammon is just the word for wealth or materialism. And because we live in a country where we have such great opportunity, where anyone who wants to work hard and save and be wise with what you earn, man, you can amass great wealth. You might think, well, I, I don't think I'll ever be wealthy. Well, not if you're comparing yourself to Bill Gates, but if you're comparing yourself to people worldwide, man, you're already wealthy. You already have more stuff than your garage can hold. How do I know that? I moved into a house that has a garage after not having one for 15 years and barely fit the cars in the thing. You know, there's just stuff. And I'm like, what is all this stuff? Well, this is the accumulation. This is the stuff we've been storing up. Some of those boxes we haven't been in for five years. I'm thinking, how much could I need that stuff? I don't even know what's in the box. And I'm thinking, maybe I need to get rid of this stuff. Maybe this is part of what he's talking about, at least to me. Probably not to you. Your garage is probably clean. You probably don't have any storage spaces. You, But you just might. And the bottom line is, how much furniture do we need? How many refrigerators can we use? How much stuff should we amass and acquire? Well... When it comes to our work, our service, he says, we've got to make a choice. And we're going to either choose to serve God or we're going to be serving stuff, mammon, materialism. And he calls that, by the way, idolatry. We're either serving him or we've in some form of idolatry. Now, I found a quote and I thought it said it better than anything I've ever read. A man can work for two employers but no slave can be the property of two owners for single ownership and full-time service is the essence of slavery. I want to say it again, share it with you again. A man can work for two employers, but no slave can be the property of two owners for single ownership and full-time service is the essence of slavery. Now, if you're thinking, slavery, what are you talking about? Well, you need to know, if you call Jesus Lord, that makes you his servant. And if you understand what a servant is, Paul writes, Paul, 
a bond slave of Jesus Christ. It means a slave by choice that you have voluntarily put yourself in the service of the Lord. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, all I signed up for is the salvation package, as if you could get it in increments, you know. I'll go for the salvation thing, but this whole service thing, I'm not sure about. No, if you're going to be like the Lord and with the Lord and transformed into someone who who serves as he did, well, you're going to have to be what he is. And Jesus is a servant. Now, many of you know, and if you don't, you should, that we have a school of ministry here. We also are affiliated with Calvary Chapel's Bible College. We have an extension campus, and you can enroll in the school of ministry, or you can enroll in the Bible College, and I really recommend both. But I've never seen any advertisement anywhere, even here at Calvary Chapel, where we fully get this, that said, school of slavery, sign up now. You know, why? Well, first of all, no one would sign up. But the word minister literally means servant, and servant means slave. But there's even more than that. The scripture tells us in 1 Peter that we have been redeemed. That means we have been bought back. In fact, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. I want you to see it. We have time for that, especially since I didn't do all those verses I first planned. I want you to see this because... This has everything to do with the decisions you will make today and from this day on as to how you deal with stuff, how you deal with people, and and really how you spend your talent, time, energies, finances, everything. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ of, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, the Bible says that we have been bought with a price and we are not our own. I don't own me. I don't make my own decisions or I'm not supposed to. Why? If Jesus bought me, if he redeemed me, and that's really what that word means then I belong to him. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. And a slave has one responsibility. And it's never to do his own thing, but always to do his master's thing. To finish whatever the master gave you and then come back to the master and say, what would you have me to do now? And note what this says, bringing back the concepts of silver and gold. We weren't redeemed. We weren't bought back with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, here's the gospel for us. All of us, descendants of Adam and Eve, born sinners, and before we ever looked like a sinner or act like a sinner, we were already sinners at heart. And, and how do we know that? Because as soon as we could, we sinned. And you got to know, as cute as those little ones are, as sweet as they are, as precious as they are, they're little sinners and they're just waiting to get out and sin. And if you don't believe it, if you're of a mind that no children are basically good and then we corrupt them, no, you have to teach them to tell the truth. You have to teach them to be respectful. You have to teach them to be honest. You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them to do the right thing. Why? Because all the other stuff comes natural. 
All the other stuff is part of our sin nature and theirs. And so Jesus says, because we were born with this corrupted, corruptible sin nature, we were in need of redemption. And there's only one thing that can redeem us, the precious blood of Christ Jesus. A lamb, he says, without blemish and without spot. Now, we just looked a couple of weeks ago at the Passover and considered that whole picture. But Paul, when he says, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ, well, of course, Jesus bought him. And Paul understood that, that Jesus was Lord. We all, who call ourselves believers, sing, He is Lord, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Listen, He is the Lord. And we're all saying, yes, you're my Lord. But the real question is, are we living as if He is Lord? That's where it sort of settles for most of us here. Now, for a few, perhaps many, Jesus isn't your Lord. You may recognize that he is the Lord. Maybe you've come long enough or listened hard enough and, and really begin to grasp, okay, God exists. He made me. My sin has separated me from him. He's the Lord. I should submit my life to him. That's really what you do when you say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. You don't just sign up for salvation. You sign up for service. And, and, and here's, what, here's what I've learned is because Jesus is a servant, he's called me to serve. Because he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He's called me to lay down my life for him, to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow him. And he's called you to do the same. Finally, that night, Jesus would be arrested. That Passover dinner he shared with his disciples right before he was taken there in the garden and, and brutalized and, and ultimately nailed to a cross where he died for your sins and mine, where he was buried, where, where he three days later rose from the dead. Well, here's the thing. Jesus, we're told, having loved his disciples, now showed them the full extent of his love. And he gave them an example of what he was looking for from each and every one of them. He took off his outer garment, he girded himself with the towel, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. The job of the lowest, humblest, meekest slave in the household. A job that none of the disciples would have been willing to do because, well, it would have been an acknowledgement that they were lesser than the others, and they had been arguing which would be the greatest. And so Jesus gives them an example and gives us an example. He washed the disciples' feet. Then he gives them an explanation. He says, what I'm doing you don't get, but later you'll understand it. If I, being your Lord and Savior, have washed your feet, I want you to do the same for one another. He gives them an exhortation. I want you to do what I've done for you. I want you to be to others what I've been to you. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. And so today, we're really confronted with two choices. Where will we lay up our treasure? Where will we lay up our wealth? Will it be on earth or will it be in heaven? How will we walk? Will it be in the light or will it be in the darkness? And will we work for God or will we work for stuff? 
for mammon, for temporal things, passing things, corruptible things. Well, if you're a believer, there's only one good choice in any of those three. If you're an unbeliever, I'd suggest you need to just choose Jesus today, understanding that what that means is you're going to need to become heavenly minded. You're going to need to walk in the light and you're going to need to really work for the Lord and, and with the Lord. But the first thing is to get right with the Lord. In John 8, 12, Jesus tells us, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You can take this as a promise. He's saying to you today, when you choose the path on which you will walk, if that choice is to follow him, that path will be well lit, and this will help develop in you a heart for God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.